0: Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem-solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
1: The CONCACAF Champions League remains a race to the moon and an opportunity to plant a flag of credibility for your club, league, and country. There was a time when American teams supported and cheered each other on in a rising tide lifts all boats type of approach. But now, I think it's everyone for themselves. And there's an individual desire to want to be the first to plant that CCL flag. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lalas, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. As you heard, we'll be talking the CONCACAF Champions League. We'll have our Mossy Makes the Case segment. He'll be talking about the UEFA Champions League results and how they change perception and narratives. We'll be answering your questions in our hashtag Ask Alexi segment with some college soccer talk and some more MLS and so much more. But first, as always, joining me, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox Soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. How are you this week,
2: Mossy? I am good. Uh, I am still here. I know you tried to replace me with a different co-host, but I waved off the substitution, so I'm still sitting you're... in this chair. <laughs> you're, you're,
1: you're all good. You know what I did this weekend, Mossy? What's that? Uh, I went back to my uh, my my high school. Uh, they invited me back. I went to a high school right outside of Detroit, a uh, prep school called Cranbrook. Uh, you can make your appropriate nine or eight mile joke and all that kind of stuff right now. Uh, I was incredibly fortunate and privileged to go to this this wonderful school they brought me back to uh, speak in a lecture series, distinguished alumni. Obviously, none of them could come back. And so they got me. Uh, and it was wonderful. It was wonderful to be back and, and to see all these, uh, these teachers uh, and this, uh, this incredible uh, school and environment. It warmed the cockles of my redheaded heart. Uh, made me feel uh, wonderful to, uh, to be a proud alumni from that school and also to uh, get back to Detroit. I went to a Red Wing game. So I got to meet Dylan Larkin, who you might not know of, but uh, he is one of the up-and-coming rising stars in the NHL and certainly the star for the Red Wings. I got to go down into the uh, locker room and see this, the, the new Little Caesars Arena uh, that's just incredible. So it was a fun time. I haven't been back in a real long time for any length of time, and uh, it was fun to get back to, uh, to a place and to see people that have meant so much uh, to me over the years. Where did you go to high school, Mossy?
2: Scarsdale High School. Scarsdale? Now. Have Staying- you been back? No, I've actually been invited to uh, several reunions and have not attended any of them.
1: Because it was a scarring and, a, and, and difficult experience uh, for you? Or? We're,
2: we're moving forward. We're, <laughs> um, now, you, you mentioned uh, you were back in the state of Michigan. There yeah. was a very disappointing basketball game played in the state of Michigan yesterday.
1: Well, who, who, uh, oh, this was the uh, Michigan State-Michigan basketball. Yeah, you I are guess. a Wolverine, as you love to, to tell us. Yeah. Uh, we have no actual verification of that, but we're going to take your word for yeah. it. Who won this game between the Wolverines uh, and the Spartans? in the battle for uh, the court in uh, Michigan. Was this at, uh, was this at the Ann Spartans? Ann Arbor. Is it Ann Arbor. Yeah. Oh, and the Wolverines, I take it from your tone, uh, did not fare well. Did not fare they well. They let the Spartans come into their home territory. This, this is a running theme, isn't it, yes. with, uh, with you guys? You let people come into your own territory and, well, not actually pee on it, but, but for all intents and purposes, uh, just come in and desecrate it like that, and you did it again.
2: Yeah, yeah. credit to them. Uh, Michigan State missing two of its best players due to injury uh, went in there and were the better team and won by seven deservedly so hats off to them. Very good win for them. Uh, it made for a disappointing Sunday all the way around for me because I was also very underwhelmed by the True Detective finale and I, oh, I assume everybody right. else was as well but I come in today to find that our producer Alex Dowd loved it, thought it was one of the great hours in the history of television. So
1: so it was a big day. We had, we had incredible Bundesliga action, obviously uh, EPL action Sunday, the uh, Academy Awards did you watch
2: the uh, Oscars some of it yeah
1: yeah it was it was okay even without a host I thought the Queen and the music aspect of it was actually for me the most interesting part it actually kind of made it better than the Grammys at times but you know those things there's uh, uh, they go they run long uh, they didn't run long this time which was which was nice but nothing really jumped out there was an incredible moment I know the, the Lady Gaga duet with uh, who's the dude from uh, A Star is Born
2: what's his name Bradley, Bradley Cooper. Cooper Bradley Boy, Cooper. Luis Aguilar, Johnny on the spot. He's, he he he's knows a, his He's stuff. a big Bradley uh, Cooper He knows his
1: fan. actors turn singers. That was, I guess, the moment from a musical perspective a lot of people will point to, but... It, it, it was kind of boring. Uh,
2: do, you know, do you know that show Inside the Actor's Studio? Yes, where, of course I do, with Mr. Uh, Lipton. Right? Yes, Bradley Cooper was famously a student, and, and there's footage of there him like footage. asking questions it. to establish that, and then it's he goes incredible. on to become it's what he boring. became. But I did enjoy the movie Green Book, so I was fine with that. You were happy with that win. Yeah, Roma, Green Book, and A Star is Born, to me, all would have been worthy winners. I enjoyed all three of those movies in different ways, so I was, it was okay with that. You
1: know, every time this happens in the Oscars, you watch it, and because some of them are so obscure or don't have the distribution and the and the breadth that that others do and they're not big blockbusters there's lo- there's movies that you don't see i just felt there's a lot of movies that i didn't see this year yeah. which shouldn't be the case because movies should be much are, are so much easier to see now but you know, There was a lot of them I said, I- I've never even heard of that movie. And the fact that it's nominated for an Oscar obviously means people respect it, but it didn't even come across my, uh, my landscape.
2: If the Oscars are looking for a host moving forward, you can now throw your hat in that ring.
1: Being that I've hosted Bundesliga Correct. on Fox, I mean, that's a prerequisite for anything, right? Yeah. Okay, perfect. All right, let's stop talking about the Oscars and, and my trips here and there and, uh, and your, the failures of your alma mater. Uh, okay, onward and upward. Uh, are you ready to light this candle? Yep. All right, let's do it. As you know, each and every week, we kick off the pod with... Alexi Lawless' State of the Union. Oh, yes, it's time for my State of the Union, where I look at a part of the game from an American perspective, and this week, it goes a little something like this. The CONCACAF Champions League kicked off this past week. Now, CCL is certainly the redheaded stepchild in the world of Champions Leagues, but it's ours, and each year we watch as the tournament crowns the best club team in our region. When it comes to U.S. teams winning CCL in the modern form, it's a long and ugly history of futility. No American team has won it in the current form. The last time an American team was even in the final was Real Salt Lake in 2010. And the last time an American team won the competition in any form was 19 years ago in 2000 when the LA Galaxy won. It remains a race to the moon and an opportunity to plant a flag of credibility for your club, league, and country. Over the years, American clubs have approached the tournament with attitudes ranging from ambivalence and seeing it as a nuisance and an unnecessary diversion, to reverence and seeing it as a priority that could help enhance a brand internationally. There was a time when American teams supported and cheered each other on in a rising tide lifts all boats type of approach. But now, I think it's everyone for themselves and there's an individual desire to want to be the first to plant that CCL flag. Yes, it's bragging rights, and winning it won't solve all the problems and change the landscape overnight, but it checks a box that has been empty for far too long and has unfortunately come to be a reminder of how far American teams and leagues have to go or another convenient reason for soccer fans both abroad and at home to simply dismiss American teams. Because how are you going to conquer the world if you can't even conquer your own region? All right, Mossy, CONCACAF Champions League. First off, does it even come on your radar? Does it even register?
2: Yes, it does. And I do find this storyline of uh, MLS teams trying to finally make that breakthrough and win it uh, quite fascinating. Now, I will say the warning signs were there for Toronto because they lost a preseason game 5-1 to the Las Vegas Lights. You might not have been aware (laughs) of it because the Las Vegas Lights manager didn't make too big a deal of it, but nevertheless, there was... Our good friend Eric Rinaldo was
1: very excited about that result. Yes. Uh, As he should be.
2: Yeah, now... uh, Grant Wall, he, his opinion might have changed on this, but a couple of years ago, he was bullish that people make too much of MLS's struggles in the CCL. Mm. He pointed to the fact that uh, uh, Premier League clubs haven't won the, ch- the way for Champions League since 2012, and that's done nothing to undermine the popularity of the Premier League or hurt its brand. And so the degree to which like, the perception of MLS is affected by their clubs winning or not winning the CCL is overrated. It's not that big a deal. What's your take on that?
1: Okay, so for us, first off, let's take a step back, and, and we try to bring everybody into the tent here. And there might be people out there who don't even know what the CONCACAF Champions League is. It's basically the uh, the championship uh, for club teams of our region. We know CONCACAF with all of its members, which includes Canada and Mexico, and all the Caribbean and, and Central American uh, teams out there. This is something, as I mentioned in my State of the Union, uh, that has provided a history of futility here. Uh, just so everybody knows, it started up last week. The American representation that. is in this tournament includes atlanta united the defending mls cup champs who went down to costa rica and uh beat herediano uh, they, uh, they, sorry, lost. Lost they lost a header to three three to one, so yeah. it's not the worst result. They can come back and win two nothing, and then go through uh, with you know with the way goes and the home and the away type of thing. Sporting Kansas City won at home against Toluca, Toluca from uh, Liga MX. Uh, I think they, they got they got it really within their oppor- uh, opportunity to go through. Houston Dynamo went down uh, and got a one nothing win down in Guatemala. Uh, the ageless Demarcus Beasley scoring a right footed uh, shot at the end of the game. I think they have it well within hand to go through. I think the New York Bre- Red Bulls who also uh won their game down in uh the dominican republic uh two nothing there they should go through so some good some good results for the uh the u.s teams uh that are in it now the big result that that from an mls perspective people are looking at is toronto fc going down to independiente in their first go the, the panamanian club's first go and getting absolutely crushed For nothing. So I think for the U.S. teams right now, the most work is probably from an Atlanta United standpoint. But they can certainly go home, even though they're not playing in uh, in Mercedes Benz uh, and they're playing in a 10,000 seat stadium in Atlanta. They can still beat uh, Herediano to nothing and go through. So I think the U.S. teams are still sitting pretty. I don't think Toronto goes through coming back to Toronto losing four nothing.
2: I've noticed you made that distinction. You know, uh, yeah, uh, when they win, yeah, they, when they win, and it's uh, like it's ours. like and Andy they Murray, lose, they're, they're, uh, <laughs> they're Canadian. And yeah, Toronto, the, to be
1: fair, is representing Canada <laughs> because they are the champions of uh, of Canada when they do their 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 Open Cup. But the I big think that they the, are ours.
2: the big joke in England is that when Andy Murray wins, he's British. When he loses, he's Scottish. So there's sort of a similar dynamic with Toronto. I will exactly. say though, sometimes you get caught out there having a team representing you that's no longer one of your best teams. It's it's happened It happens in Europe too. I mean, Monaco are one of the worst teams in France this season. They're, they're battling relegation, and yet there they were representing Ligue 1 in the group cool. stage of the way for Champions League by virtue of finishing having finished second last season. So that's sort of happened here. So uh, MLS is going to get slagged for Toronto losing four nil, but nobody thinks Toronto right now are one of the best teams in the league. No,
1: but and this this is a, it's not a problem. It's just the reality of the modern day game is teams, all teams, but especially in Major League Soccer, change so quickly and so dramatically that the team that was was the team that was successful and is why you're even playing in these tournaments maybe may look completely different obviously uh, Miguel Almiron is not going to be part of Atlanta. Uh, neither is Tata Martino, the coach that, that got them there. So, And especially when it comes to MLS teams because of the unique structure and the salary cap and even the the, the way that the uh, season plays out, they are put at a disadvantage. Now that's, that's been a case that's not an excuse. It's just the reality of the situation. Every MLS team uh, knows it. I mentioned in my State of the Union that, that different teams look at it differently. I do think that there's a recognition that this is something that, while it's not going to change everything, it's something that the bragging rights every team in MLS would like to have, especially in this day and age where teams, including MLS teams, while they want to be relevant domestically and certainly within their market there's a there's an effort and an emphasis on being global brands every team in the world wants to be a global brand and when you are the champion of your region and th- and by the way the champion of the region gets to participate in the fifa club world cup th- that's that's an honor and that's a moment and that's something that you can point to and as i said before it's one less complaint and argument Uh, And and one less thing that people can point to as to why they don't like MLS or why they won't watch MLS or why MLS isn't credible or, or relevant or of quality.
2: Yeah, I, the Club World Cup thing is what I was going to bring up to kind of rebut the Grant Wall argument that I, I think it would be significant if we got to see like Atlanta United playing a competitive match against a Real Madrid or that that sure. would be sort of very neat. So to me, that's the reason why you want to see MLS clubs uh, win this, comp- beyond just the bragging rights of, of you know, uh, succeeding in it against other clubs from different countries in the region. There was this
1: other phenomenon that, that I talked to, I talked about in the State of the Union where the league as a whole, and I'm talking about MLS, for for example, and by the way, this is open to any professional team ultimately winning the US Open Cup. But in in this instance, we're talking about Major League Soccer and Major League Soccer teams where the league as a whole, even hashtag MLS for insert RSL, whoever it ended up being. I I don't get that there's the same kumbaya type of feeling anymore. I think that there's a real desire for these teams to be that first one. And as I said before, we have had us teams that have been the champions of concacaf it's just come in a very different so for example when i played in it many many years ago in the, for the los angeles galaxy it was a two week tournament that uh, that happened in a much more tournament type of style in a world cup type of style where you had your groups you came out and then you had a champion and it was played in in one region now obviously it's it's completely changed so in this in this form in the way that they play it right now there's a recognition that that for MLS to progress they just need to check that box and i think that there will be a sense of accomplishment but also a sense of relief from the league office and that accomplishment and something to build upon and something to champion and and beat your chest about will come to whatever MLS team ultimately uh, finds a way to
2: do it. What do you make of the current format? It's the second year that they've had it. I have mixed feelings about it. They scrapped the group stage. Now we go straight into knockout ties, 16 teams, and it, it makes it more exciting in a way. But I don't know. It, it also makes what's ostensibly like the uh, showpiece competition in your region awkwardly brief. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're sort of used to like these continental competitions having different stages and group stage and knockout and, and spanning like a bigger part of the year. Um, do, do, are you happy with the way it is right now? How do it's, you feel about it? Well, well, first off, it's
0: it's
1: difficult because the disparity of quality from top to bottom in CONCACAF is very different than the disparity of quality from from Europe. And we we, we know that UEFA Champions League is is, is, the, is the, the gold standard. And so when you're trying to do a Champions League in CONCACAF where you have such a disparity of talent, you don't want to be have these teams not only playing games, but having to travel and do all this stuff and play against. And yet, I have to remind people sometimes that CONCACAF's job is not to prop up Major League Soccer. CONCACAF's job is not to prop up American teams or North American soccer or League MX or any CONCACAF's job is to represent their membership. And so whether it's the, the amount of spaces that they are championing to have uh, for a, a full Men's World Cup or a full Women's World Cup or giving opportunities to teams that haven't had them in the past to prop them up, to give them opportunities so that they can grow, so they can be more competitive and we can... We can, we're not going to never get rid of it completely, but we can lessen that, that space and that disparity between the haves and the have-nots and the good teams and the bad teams in CONCACAF. C- and by doing what you said, to a certain extent, they're, they're much more exclusive and elitist in the way that they are going about. And some of these teams that want to have the opportunity until they're actually given the opportunity, but in order to get that opportunity, you have to have teams traveling. You have to have teams playing against teams that aren't very good.
2: And uh, for the MLS teams that perform poorly, do you think it's a valid excuse that they're in preseason mode, that this is now sort of an awkward time in the calendar to be playing important matches?
1: It's valid in that it exists and everybody recognizes it, but it's not valid in that it's just a crutch that we that we use. Look, MLS does things differently and they believe in the way that they run their business and the way that they run their teams and that's all fine and well. Does it put them at a disadvantage when when they are playing against teams? And not, not all teams, and that's and not to be quite honest. Not the majority of teams that they're playing on. It. A lot of this is focused in on Liga MX and the disparity uh, and the one hand behind their back aspect that uh, MLS teams face, either from a salary cap perspective and therefore a talent perspective, uh, or a, um, a, a, a seasonal perspective. in you know, MLS teams are just starting to get into their. Uh, the MLS kicks off this weekend, so they're just starting to 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 get in, but. I don't think that MLS teams use it as an excuse. It's always there. But there's first off, there's not a, a legitimate alternative that I've seen unless you completely blow it up. What, do you have one? Do you have an alternative?
2: No, it's interesting. A couple of years ago when they were uh, discussing uh, reformatting this competition, evidently there was a proposal on the table to structured in such a way where the climactic matches would take place in November, and Don Garber didn't want that because he didn't want that competing with the sure, climax of the MLS season. So that, that's kind of an interesting uh, you do, yeah, uh, aspect you, you don't, of this discussion. You don't want that.
1: and. MLS and, and, and teams, American teams, this is, this is focused on MLS because that's the, those are the teams that are in it. But this could just as easily be Eric Winalda's uh, Las Vegas Lights, right, uh, play, playing in this tournament. While they recognize there are disadvantages, they don't use those. At times they have in the past, I don't think anybody uses it anymore. I do think, you know, someone like Peter Vermes, I know for a fact that while it poses challenges to him and what he wants to do, it would be an incredible feather in, in his cap to be able to say that they want it, to be able to say that they were the first in the modern era to do it, especially with what they've created there. They're off to a good start, but everybody wants that moment because there will be only one first in the modern form of this, uh, of this tournament. So we'll see how this goes on from an MLS perspective, from a U.S. team perspective. We'll see if, uh, from an MLS perspective, a Toronto FC can overcome a 4 nothing deficit uh, when they go back home. But I think from a U.S. team perspective, a lot of these teams are sitting pretty right now, uh, although Atlanta, they got to do some work when they get home. All right, moving on. Hello, people. Alexi Lalas here. More of the State of the Union podcast is on the way. But first, I wanted to tell you about a service every soccer fan needs to check out. Fox Soccer Match Pass. With Fox Soccer Match Pass, you can stream live and on-demand matches from the Bundesliga, international friendlies, and more, all on your favorite devices. And the best part? It's all ad-free, and you can cancel it anytime. So check out foxsoccermatchpass.com and get started with a free seven-day trial today. Now, back to the show. Mossy makes the case.
2: All right, time for Mossy Makes the Case. What are you casing for this week, Mossy? My case is that there's no more unforgiving competition than the UEFA Champions League. It has the ability to change narratives on a dime. Last week, Juventus traveled to Madrid to take on Atletico in the first leg of the Champions League round of 16, which for Cristiano Ronaldo, of course, meant returning to the city that he called home for the previous nine years. Ronaldo, of course, led Real Madrid to the Champions League title in the last three of those seasons and in four of the last five, and it was largely his success in this competition that cemented his legacy. On the occasion of his returning to Spain, there were lots of articles written about his move to Juventus, including one I read in a Spanish newspaper called El País, which talked about what a home-run signing this has been, how Ronaldo has not only elevated the stature of Serie A, but he's revitalized the city of Turin to the point that even Torino fans are glad he's there. And as far as the champions, they could talked about how by having Ronaldo, Juventus now have this newfound confidence in their ability to lift the trophy. Well, that was Monday's story. <laughs> on Wednesday, they lost 2-0 to Atletico Madrid. They're now on the precipice of being eliminated. And after that match, I read a slew of stories about how if they do go out in this round, Ronaldo's signing will have been a flop because they brought him there to win this competition, not to win Serie A, which they've already won uh, for seven straight seasons without him. Now, we can debate whether that's fair or not, but I think it highlights, once again, what a combustible mix we have here. The Champions League has grown in stature and prestige to the point that this is now the competition that super clubs measure themselves by. You have several teams that are obsessed with winning it, from Juventus to Bayern Munich to Barcelona to PSG. And yet the nature of the competition is such that when you get to these later rounds, you face other great clubs, and one bad night or sometimes one bad bounce or one bad refereeing decision can sink you. And then, of course, coaches get fired, and uh, this player is a fraud, and that signing is a flop. Uh, Listen, it's great drama for us as viewers, but it can be incredibly harsh for those participating.
1: So for me, uh, this points out the, the challenge and certainly the problem that not all leagues, but certain leagues have because you're absolutely right in that you're finishing in terms of the league perspective. And this applies to Italy. Uh, this applies to France uh, and specifically to Juventus in Italy and specifically to PSG in, in France for the most part it has usually it has applied to germany with the bundesliga and with bayern munich although although they at least have a competition the parity or excuse me the lack of parity that exists in some of these leagues makes it so it is just your league is a a formality and a training session, if you will, for what ultimately you are going to be judged. And there's 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 no surprise that that's what coaches are judged on. That's what success is judged on, and that's what the public, both domestically and internationally, judges judges you on when you don't have. For example, Liverpool right now. I've talked to our Liverpool, Liverpool friends who say if we if we had choose between Champions League and winning the title, and it's a little bit different because they haven't done it in so long. They're going to take winning the EPL. But it means so much more when you actually have people that are, that are challenging for the title in your league, which we do have now in England. Spain is a little interesting and different, and they've gone back and forth where Barcelona's won the league and, and uh, Real Madrid's won, won Champions League, and which one is more important, and, and they'll get on their pedestal and say, well, this one's important, this one's important, but it's still basically those two just uh, just going at it. But it, it, this Super League in the future, quote-unquote Super League or anything like that, they're almost living and playing within that Super League. And the Champions League games are simply the actual real games, and the games that they play during the week domestically are simply training games.
2: It's amazing. On the topic of changing narratives, now Manchester United have since ripped off some impressive results, so people are back on the social bandwagon, but it was hilarious to me. They had won all those games, and he was getting all sorts of praise, and then they lose that first leg against PSG at home, and there was actually talk afterwards, yeah, maybe he's not the guy. I guess they are going to have to find a new manager after he lost one game. It was was incredible. Because people's
1: perception and the way that they value you versus those other super because we have a super class of teams right now that's ultimately how they're judged and there is an insecurity if you are a supporter of one of of these super clubs around the world there's an insecurity when Ultimately, you lose to another super club out there because that's where that's the bar by by which you're uh, by which you are judged. Now, when it comes to the the change of narrative, we know it's changed, but we know it can very easily change back. Do you think that Cristiano Ronaldo in what what he he does because he's Cristiano uh, has the capacity to change it back? Yeah, I mean, this Down was
2: this was always a very scary tie for Juventus. This is, in my opinion, the best team Simeone's ever had there. And they're very motivated because the final is at their home stadium. Mm-hmm. And also, they received a boost recently. Simeone signed a contract extension until 2022, which is amazing. We, uh, for a long time there, we thought there was this inevitability that he was going to want to parlay his success at Atletico to a different job. But he seems very happy staying there. So... Uh, for the foreseeable future. So uh, Atletico are a very tough opponent, not a team that you want to be down 2-0 against. But I will say the silver lining of it being Atletico is that I think... Uh, there's less of a fear of them getting an away goal. If you're facing somebody like Barcelona or Manchester City with a high-powered attack and you're down 2-0, in the back of your mind, you know, if they score a goal then we need four, but I think Atletico aren't going to take too many chances in that return leg. They're going to park the bus. Simeone is going to really look to protect that 2-0 advantage. So it's totally plausible to me that Juventus are going to shut them out at home and it's only going to be really two goals they need to force extra time. And when you have Cristiano Ronaldo on the field for 90 minutes at home, it's not that implausible that you can get two goals. right.
1: well let's finish it off here with just flying through here for your predictions then. So, Schalke at Man City, Man City went and won away 3-2. Yeah, It was crazy
2: through. the way it happened, but in the end, they ended up Look, without a scoreline that basically kills the tie and they'll take but care of business at it's not a
1: surprise home. Man City's going to yeah. go through. Okay, because now they have right. to play at home against Schalke. Okay, right. you said that you think... Uh, that Juventus can come back from this 2 nothing deficit at home?
2: It's possible, yes.
1: Okay. Would you would you put all of the, the Mossy uh, fortune? No, if on I had it? to
2: bet, I would bet on a Plettico. You market. would? Okay,
1: yeah. all right. Uh, what a, okay, so PSG, uh, we were just talking about Oh, we're going uh, all Super the way clubs. to We're just going all all the through the going. PSG uh, won 2 nothing away at Manchester United. And, and you and were just no mentioning Pogba, the, the, got... the narrative for what Ola <laughs> Gunnar is. It, so what do you think? They go uh, back?
2: Yeah, PSG finish him off. Uh, uh, no Pogba in the return leg, which is big. He got a red card late in that first Okay,
1: we had talked last week about the 3 nothing demo Demolition of Borussia Dortmund. Well, not demolition, but certainly from a scoreline. Tottenham. I'll say
2: this: if, if anybody can screw that up, but it it's Tottenham. If Royce is back, you never know. <laughs> are, you, are, are you
1: smelling a Spursy type of performance? Is that what's happening but, here? Oh uh, wow! Obviously, Spurs, Spurs fans are, are, are pulling over to the side of the road, <laughs> stopping their run right now. Okay, so you think that there's no? That's no. They, they, they cannot possibly be as Spursy as to lose a three nothing advantage going back to Borussia Dortmund. Oh, famous okay, quick. Uh, Lyon Barcelona 0-0. Uh, Barcelona
2: 0-0, the Which I know a lot's been made about what a scary scoreline that is for Barcelona because a scoring draw, second leg they lose, but they're so much better than Lyon. They they outshot them twenty five to five. The ball just didn't want to go in that first leg. Uh, Barcelona should should uh, Roma rush Porto
1: uh, Roma won at home two to one.
2: That was a toss up going in, and it's still a toss up. I have no toss-up. feel on. It.
1: Uh, Ajax lost at home to Real Madrid, so, although Ajax looked wonderful. Everybody loves to talk about how great Ajax <laughs> is and the, and the talent, and oh, this uh, isn't this great, and they're just. Playing without fear and all these young uh, young bucks <laughs> running around and then they lose
2: obviously real madrid should should
1: go through okay and then the big one which uh, i i do want to talk about all for right, a second so let's finish it off here liverpool Bayern Munich. Bayern Munich went to Anfield, uh, got a uh, 0-0 tie, uh, didn't score an away goal, obviously. So from a Liverpool perspective, that's a good thing. But do you think that they have enough going back to Munich?
2: I'll say this. I thought going in, Liverpool were the better team. I still think they're the better team. If I had to pick, I I would pick Liverpool to go through. But it's moved closer to a 50-50 because we were reminded in that first leg that pedigree does matter. Mm -hmm. You know, we watched Bayern Munich play in the Bundesliga. A few days earlier, they had given up two goals to Augsburg. And you think, oh my God, against Liverpool at Anfield, they're going to get their doors blown off. And 10 minutes into that first leg, I was sort of reminded, wait a minute, it's still Bayern Munich, it's a big game, that DNA kicks in, and, you know, they're going to put in a performance here, which they did, and, and they got a decent result. Now, I do think the way they approached that match was sort of a concession that they're not the Bayern Munich of old, because they, they used to be a team that can go anywhere and play their game and look to dominate, and the way they approached that first leg against Liverpool was clearly, let's try to get out of here nil-nil and be very conservative. So, But they executed the game plan well, and it's a decent result for them, although, like I say, nil-nil to me is a bit of an overrated result for the away team in a, in a first leg of a two-legged tie, and it's an underrated result for the home team because you go back knowing that a scoring draw, you know, Liverpool goes through. So it's not that great a result for Bayern, but we'll see. I mean, I think it's, it's like I said, it's pretty close to a toss-up. It's, it's very intriguing to see how the second leg plays out, but I would still pick Liverpool to go through. How, All right, you, how do you see Bayern's going
1: through. <laughs> All right, moving on.
0: <laughs> Ask Alexi.
1: Okay, it's time for our Ask Alexi segment, that hashtag Ask Alexi you've used on all those social media platforms out there to ask us some
2: questions. Mossy, what do the people want to know this week? All right, first up, at WV Revy Pulisic, Wei, Adam, Sergeant McKinney, Stefan Horvath, Carter Vickers, wow. uh, and he goes he on the list. There's a lot uh, there's a list of people um, there, I see. Yeah. Are we on the verge of a quote-unquote golden generation for U.S. soccer? Has there ever been this much young potential in the pool?
1: Yes, there has been this much young potential in multiple pools in their past. I think we are living in an age where the awareness fueled by technology uh, makes it so that we see each and every potential player. As soon as a young American talented player kicks the ball in the right direction, it's on YouTube. Uh, it's uh, There's a tweet about it, and we have found the savior. So it's not to say that this generation isn't good. It's not to say that you shouldn't be bullish and excited about this generation, uh, the players that you mentioned, and a whole bunch of other ones. But I also think that it's reflective of the fact that there's a more traditional type of pathway for a lot of these players that are coming out of development systems. Whether that means that they're better Better or not, though that's that I think is a big question. I think there's a recognition and a perception that they are better, oftentimes. Uh, but ultimately, uh, we know that, that that talent, realizing that talent and that, pose, uh, and that potential, has so much. Uh, there's so many different factors: timing, coaches, injuries, a million different things off the field uh, that may or may not happen to a player, and so. we we love to extrapolate it out that this player is doing this right now. And so therefore five years uh, he is going to be there. And that's what we do. It's great. I I love that we do that. But all that, all all of that is to say uh, WV Revy is that while I remain cautiously optimistic that this is a, a talented group, it's not the most talented group that we, it's, it's, it's no more or less talented than groups that we've had in the past. Many of those groups some of those groups have gone on to produce multiple players. And really all you're, you're asking for in a golden generation is two, three, four and a half type of players, right? Uh, which is great. And, you, and you, you want to have that happen. I, I think this has potential to do that. And I know I'm going back and forth here, but, but ultimately I, I, I disagree with you that this is the golden generation or the pool of talent with the most potential right now.
2: I do think there's a lot of talent there, and this is what the sky is falling crowd in the wake of the U.S.'s qualification failure has always struggled to reconcile. For a country that's supposedly doing everything wrong, Mm -hmm. uh, the U.S. is producing some very good young players here. Some of these youth national teams, under 17, under 20 teams, have actually looked very good the last couple of years. And by the way, the U.S. this weekend... Found out their group opponents for the upcoming Under Twenty World Cup. Tab Ramos, it's, coach. Yeah. Yep, Ukraine, Nigeria, and Qatar. Uh, that Under Twenty World Cup begins in late May in Poland. So keep an eye on that. So yeah, I mean, I actually looking at this list and even left off a couple of guys. I actually do think it's it's fairly impressive.
1: But but ultimately, when you say this, it has to come to fruition. And how, what do we what do we equate with fruition or coming to fruition? It's being good in the World Cup. So all of these players, four years from now, have to feature in the—well, not all of them, but this group of players has sure. to be that that pool that created the, the core of the team in four years, or, or eight years from now. So we'll, we'll see it at that time. But we've done this before. We have seen groups of talented young American players who have— uh, and this is back, once again, before you could see every single player. So uh, I, I remain— as I said, cautiously optimistic. All right, next.
2: Uh, next up, at Jose G Lopez, mm. uh zero, 0 help settle an argument. Would you rather as a player lose a World Cup final a la any Croatian or to be left off the 23 for the winning team a la Lacazette, Benzema, Martial, etc.?
1: Well, I know that some of you uh, out there have listened to the uh, Roger Bennett podcast, American Fiasco, including Mossy. You've listened to that uh, at times. Uh, and there was a point there where Roger asked, I think, if, um, you know, if we were talking about, would you have rather not been a part of that? No. You, you all, even a bad team, even an implosion, the likes of which we saw in 1998, there's no part of me that would ever not have want to be there, despite how um, horrible, uh, horrible it was. So, would you rather as a player lose a World Cup final like a Croatian? All right, to lose a World Cup final, you have to play in a World Cup final. Which means you got to the World Cup final. And in particular, in this instance, it's Croatia. It's not Brazil losing a World Cup final, okay? This is Croatia. Uh, Or to be left off the 23 for the winning team. So, uh, Ben's... Look, those... So if, if France had lost right? Is that what he's saying? If France had lost the uh, the World Cup and Lacassette, Benzema,
2: Martial had the option of being on that team and losing, is that what he's, is that what he's asking? It's basically a question regarding patriotism. Like, uh, you can personally be involved and not win or not be involved, but have your country win. And which scenario are you going to come out of feeling better about? No, you want to be there. You want to be there and lose than not be involved no,
1: you, as a player, that, that ego and that, that beautiful ego at times, that's what fuels you. That's what makes you, look, that's, that's like when you clap for somebody who, who has won and you haven't won. When, you know, we, we, we see like last night at the Oscars when everyone's clapping, oh, so happy for you, so happy for you, officer and gentleman type of thing. Yeah, I'm really happy for you. We're human beings. No, you want to be there. You want to be in that moment and experience both the good and the bad.
2: Frankly, uh, reading this question reminded me again how loaded France are that they could afford to leave That's players true, like that right? That's and, pretty still, nice. and still have an amazing attack with Griezmann and Mbappe and Dembele and others. Okay, uh, next question. At Brent Keller... Fifty-one Isn't that the title of a Van Halen album? It is.
1: It is. It's Eddie Van Halen's recording studio. Uh, it is the, uh, what is it? the On the police scanner. It's what they use for criminally insane escapee right. or something like that. And um, in the name of uh, both a song and a and an album. Very good. Mostly. And one Very note
2: good. before I read this. Uh, there was another gentleman who asked the exact same question and we were going to use that. But this guy uh, hashtagged it properly. Yes. Uh, yes. So, folks, you have to be aware of that if you want to get on this pod. Uh, so, Just please uh, follow directions. Okay. I mean. <laughs> At Brent Keller, fifty-one fifty. Is college soccer still a viable option for top-tier talent?
1: Is is it still a viable option for top-tier talent uh, when it comes to the men's game? Because there has to be kind of a separation because I think it's much more of a viable op- op- option going forward for the women's game than it has become for the men's game. I still think that it's a viable option. Option. I still think that. There will be players that take the college route either by choice or just by uh, necessity uh, and are good players, some even possibly great. I think it's a shame that we have marginalized the unique experience of high school soccer in the name of development, Uh, but I also think it's a shame that we have to a certain extent uh, marginalized and destroyed the unique experience of of, of college soccer. And, you know, I, I get asked this all the time. I, I get it. We are in an effort and in a time where we want to create better soccer players. And in the whole uh, Gladwell 10,000 hours specialization type of world that we live in, the more soccer you play with, the better competition that you have, the theory goes, the better you will, you will possibly be. And college soccer, some programs are good, some programs aren't. In general, college soccer, we all know, is too short of a period of time. And uh, when college soccer players are only playing a certain amount of, uh, of months, as opposed to other players who are in uh, developmental programs, uh, second teams for MLS teams, all of that kind of stuff where they are playing on a consistent basis, but they are bypassing the experience. And in our effort, and I've said this before, in our effort to create better soccer players, We just need to make sure that we don't forget that, number one, the 22 and a half hours off the field is as important as the 90 minutes on the field. And giving these players the tools and the skills to deal with that 22 and a half hours, I do think, is our responsibility. Number two, in our effort to create better soccer players, we are efforting to create better elite soccer players but know that only a very small percentage are going to live up to that. And we are going to cast aside hundreds, if not thousands of players who have bypassed and therefore given up the opportunity in many cases from an economic perspective, given up incredible opportunities to get the education, to have that education paid for. And while we might hear about the success stories or the players that made a lot of money, they are in the incredible minority. And we have a responsibility to make sure that we are giving them both the opportunity to be a better soccer player, but also the opportunity to uh, to be a better, better person because win or lose incredible player elite player or not successful or not these are these are men and, and in many case women young men and women that we are if they don't make it dumping them back out on our society and they're going to lead our country going forward and they are going to have to have the skills and oftentimes you're not getting those skills you're not getting the experience that the responsibility the social interaction uh the 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 Uh, the success and failure that comes from going through a college program that has nothing necessarily to do always with kicking the ball. But I get it. I understand why it is so enticing. And just from a a practical standpoint, you can say, well, it's just better and it's going to make you a better soccer player. And if that's all that you're concentrating on, you can probably do that. But I'm just telling you, the greatest soccer players that I have met have been the ones that have the capacity to deal with that 22 and a half hours that they are not playing the game of soccer. And that's oftentimes what makes, what gives them the ability to succeed and to be great in that 90 minutes on the field. So uh, I I, I mean, is it a viable option for top tier talent? I don't think it's a viable option right now for top tier talent, both uh, and, and much more so in the perception. People are going to say, well, he went to college and therefore he's really not serious about soccer. And that's a pity. It's a shame. And college soccer has brought a lot of this upon themselves and it needs to change dramatically in in order to compete, or if they even want to compete, because a lot of players are going to go the opposite way. And my my greatest fear is that we're only going to hear about the ones that are successful, and all the hundreds and possibly thousands of players that aren't successful, we're going to dump them back out, and they're going to be lacking in the skills to deal with a life that doesn't have soccer, or a life that has soccer, but hasn't made them enough money, and they don't have the skill to continue on when the soccer is taken away, because inevitably, it will be taken away. All right, Brent, that's my answer for that. Fifty-one fifty, I love it. All right. Thanks for the questions. Remember, use that Ask Alexi hashtag uh, and we will make sure to, uh, you know, collect the best ones and use them each and every week. And Mossy might read your question on future episodes of the State of the Union podcast. All right. Moving on. The back three. All right. We come to our back three. Some big stories and games or moments out there in the world of soccer. Uh, What do we
2: have uh, this week, Mossy? All right, let's start in England and all the craziness with Chelsea. Um, thank God for Kepa because Sunday was actually uh, a very disappointing day in England. There were two matches that everyone was excited about. Manchester United against Liverpool in the Premier League and Chelsea-Manchester-City in the League Cup final. Both failed to deliver. Both ended nil-nil. City won the League Cup final on penalties. And had the Keppa incident not happened, we wouldn't have had a whole lot to talk about, but the incident did happen. The Chelsea goalkeeper refused to be subbed out. Uh, what did you make of allegedly, the whole situation?
1: Allegedly. allegedly refused to be subbed out when... And uh, Chelsea manager Sadi wanted to substitute the goalkeeper. Uh, what did I make of it? I thought it was brilliant theater. I thought it was wonderful. I knew immediately that regardless of who won the game, uh, and certainly uh, if Man City won the game, which they ultimately did, that would be a byline uh, way down in the bottom of the story. That was not that that Man City won a trophy is not the story. It, this is going to be the story as it should because it was just mind-boggling. For a lot of people that have watched the game for a long time, they had never seen it. Now, the damage control immediately started to happen from a Chelsea perspective and from those those involved. And for those that, that, that didn't see it, they wanted to make a substitution for the goalkeeper. A young player that they had brought this year, a young goalkeeper, obviously talented. For how much money, Mossy ridiculous 80 enough. So $80 $80 million or something like that. Certainly the future of goalkeeping for Chelsea. And he... Uh, at least the way it looked uh, for everybody that was watching, he, he waved him off. Now, they have since come out and said that there was a miscommunication between the physios, whatever they call them over there, and the uh, electronic communication back and forth. And that sorry thought that he actually had a cramp and there was a problem. And so he was angry that he would continue on like that. And, the, uh, and uh, Kepa uh, didn't have a cramp and he was OK. Doesn't matter. It was a bad look for everybody involved. Now, a couple of things. One the problem for sorry isn't that a player rebuffed him because that that can certainly happen you know players players you want players to be to be on the field you want players to be angry and pissed off when they're getting taken off the field I, if if i was a coach if i was a teammate that's that's what i want the problem for sorry like i said so that's not the problem that a, that a player did this it's that all the other players watched it and they allowed it and therefore it, it didn't seem bothered by it and and therefore they they condoned it. There was nobody running up and saying, "No, no, you're leaving the field right now." Because I guarantee if players from Chelsea had gone to him and said, "Get off the field right now," he would he, he would have done it in in mass if they if that had happened. That did not happen. The other part that was interesting for me was and was, and this comes back to wanting players that want to be on the field. There was for me a a, a almost a sense of a of appreciation, and I I'm going to use the word respect, and maybe that's not it, but you know I I mentioned this on Twitter. What if Marcus Rashford had done the same thing to Mourinho in the dark days when they were having just all the problems, and this is all in the context of where they are right now under Ole Gunnar. What if what if they had done it to Mourinho? People would be applauding him. Finally, somebody's standing up and taking our team back and it's coming from a young player and we love him. So there is an element of of leadership and ownership and accountability to Keppa's what was very public defiant act that, like I said, I can I can almost respect.
2: Yeah, I agree with everything you said. Let let me play devil's advocate for a second here because although we've seen instances in which a team has brought on a goalkeeper late in extra time, specifically because they want him for the shootout, uh, the Netherlands famously did that in the 2014 World Cup with Tim Krul. That's not what was happening here. Asadi made it clear afterwards the only reason he was making that switch was because of Kepa's physical issues. So to me, there is some room for a player who knows? He's only getting subbed out because the manager thinks he's injured, and who feels like he's not injured right. and fit enough to continue to try to convey that to the bench and argue, no, 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 I'm fine. Keep me in the game. Right. Like we've seen that happen sure. before. Um, so that that in and of itself wouldn't have been that big an issue. But just somebody needed to budge earlier. Uh, if as soon as Keppa popped up and said, "I'm okay," Sadi had said, "Oh, okay, never mind," and, and told Caballero to sit down, we, we're not going to make the change. It wouldn't have been that big a deal. Or if Kepa had put up a little bit of a fight, but it, but uh, when Sadi insisted he wanted to take him out, then. Keppa relented and said, okay, I guess I have to come. I'm not happy about it. We've seen that as well. It was just the fact that neither one budged. So it was like this awkward minute-long standoff between the two that did make it, frankly, kind of embarrassing. And so that was the issue for me, just how long the indecision lasted. It was crazy. And then our good friend Keith Costigan, who who makes this
1: program seemingly every single week in some (laughs) capacity or other, he he had tweeted out and and I retweeted it. He said, uh, uh, I've got to admit, I felt a little sorry for sorry in the whole type of situation. It's something he shouldn't have to deal with. And my point to him was, you're sorry for sorry? Are you kidding me? He he. His one and only job is to quote deal with it. All the cool kids, all the time. They tell me, uh, "Well, we call them managers." You know, you have all those Euro snobs that 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 do all the kinds, or or just soccer snobs in general. Oh, that's why we call them managers. All right, if you call them managers, then go manage. It's your job to deal with this right now. It's your job to deal in, in the moment and not have a complete fit. Or if you do have that fit, now you've got to deal with it uh, post-game. So what are you going to do? Are you going to bench the player? Are you going to change the player? And by the way, this is happening, and this is why I brought up the, uh, the uh, Rashford type of thing. This is happening at a time where Chelsea is imploding. And Alex is over there just crying over there in the corner. But the, look, don't kill the messenger, man. I mean, and you don't need a messenger. Everybody can see it. There is a problem right now with this team. And the other thing was somebody else had uh, had made a point uh, to me about... This is endemic. This is systemic of a horrible, horrible culture that has existed for years and years. Let me tell you something about culture. Let me tell you something about a systemic and cancerous type of culture. The, and, and so, someone he had asked me, let me see if I can find this. He asked me, uh, look at the long line of managers at Chelsea that have come and gone. Yeah, they've, they've changed managers. First off, they're not the only team in the world that has changed managers on a consistent basis, but he wanted to know what the common denominator is. And I told him this on Twitter. I said, the common denominator is always not winning enough. When you win enough, the mentality and the culture of the club is seen as positive, healthy, and good. And when you don't win enough, the, the uh, mentality and the culture of the club is seen as negative, weak, and bad. And so that's what the situation is. This is not something that is festered and underneath and you know, uh, cancerous living and breathing inside of uh, of Chelsea. They're just not winning enough.
2: Well, to that point, uh, let's say a couple of those penalties go a different way. I mean, Kepa almost saved Aguero's penalty. It slipped under his he hand. Have saved that one, yeah. So let's say he saves that, and then Luis, who almost always makes his penalties, hit the post. If that goes in, Chelsea wins the shootout. What would we be talking about right now? Would the Kepa thing be kind of something we'd laugh about? But in the end, the story is that Sadi won a trophy, and, and his tactics were spot on in that game. He won a trophy at the expense of Manchester City, and, and that maybe this is the first step towards him sort of uh, recovering, you know, there. I mean, how, how different would the storyline be? Completely different. That's, you know, it,
1: it goes back to what we were talking about. These, these narratives that just shift on results and, and ultimately in this case, it's shifting on trophies, which we put so much stock in for coaches.
2: Now, I do want to get to the transfer ban. I'm telling you, Chelsea are like Donald Trump right now. I mean, the news comes fast and furious, and it changes. The transfer ban feels like three news cycles ago, but (laughs) I I do think— They are the gift that keeps on
1: giving, Chelsea. I (laughs) I mean, it's incredible.
2: I do think it's a big story. So uh, for people to know, FIFA have very strict rules regarding signing players under the age of 18. The player has to be living— within a certain amount of miles of your training ground, and you have to provide a certain education and living conditions. And some clubs have run afoul of those rules in recent years, and so they've all been handed the same punishment, which is the inability to register new players for two straight transfer windows. Now, the the big clubs before Chelsea that were hit with this were three Spanish clubs, Barcelona, Real Madrid, and Atletico Madrid. Now, none of them were that affected by it. I mean, to go through each uh, situation quickly, Barcelona were able to delay the ban on appeal and then went out in the transfer window before, signed a bunch of players, including right. Luis Suarez and Ivan <laughs> Rakitic, built this juggernaut of a team, went out and won the treble that season. The ban ended up being for a winter window in which they wouldn't have done anything anyway, and then a summer window in which they still signed players, right. but just weren't able to register them. They signed them with the understanding that you're going to be ineligible for, for half a season here, and then you'll be able to uh, play starting in January 2016. Real Madrid got their ban reduced to only one winter window, so who cares? Atletico, it was one winter window, which they wouldn't have done anything, and then one summer window, which, again, they signed Diego Costa and Vitolo, and Diego Costa sat out a half a season. Vitolo, they loaned out. You can do that as well. And It's like Pablo Escobar's jail. Exactly, I mean, come on, exactly. So all these clubs were still very strong, still won trophies during those seasons. It didn't affect them that much. People do think, though, with Chelsea it could be different because they're in a greater state of flux, there's bigger question marks, more potential comings and goings, they they might have a new manager who presumably would want to bring in um, his own players, so we'll see if they can get it delayed or or reduced or what happens, it's hard to talk about it without knowing exactly what the ban is going to end up being, but I'll ask it because a lot of people are are curious in this country from the Pulisic perspective, Um, just in general, all this stuff, the Kepa incident, this transfer ban, all the, the chaos at Chelsea, as an American, how does that make you feel about? Pulisic going there uh do you are do you, you look at it now and it's like that, that's a crazy decision for him to pick that club or can you put a positive spin on it that he can be some sort of savior what's your overall yeah, feeling I, on Pulisic I, to Chelsea a,
1: I I think this is even better if I'm in Christian Pulisic's shoes I'm saying I have an opportunity here in the same way that players coming into the U.S. men's national team are coming in at a point where it can only get better and only go up that that to me I smell opportunity you can come in and savior's a big word, but you can come in and number one, very, very quickly move forward and evolve and get better and be perceived as better because it has been so bad. And number two, with with that comes opportunities on the field because you know that they are gonna make the changes that are that are necessary to get this thing back on track. This is a big global brand and they will do the things necessary. And they and I feel like it's it's coming to the end regardless right now with the Hazard situation. Who's in the back? Uh, uh, your Brazilian friend with the long David Luis. Yes, David Luiz. You know these types of things where they've it's run its course now. So I think there's there. I think change was inevitable, and I think Christian Pulisic, at least the way I would look at it if I was in his shoes, is this is a great opportunity for him to come in to get playing time and to bring this team back and in that be you know be be the star. Not the star, but one of these stars.
2: Yeah, if the transfer ban does apply for this summer, first of all, it doesn't affect him because no, he's, he's already a Chelsea player in, yeah. that they loaned And to maybe Dortmund. they did that on
1: purpose. And by so the maybe way... they knew this was coming. Exactly. Maybe. And by the way, Chelsea
2: have like 300 players on loan everywhere. <laughs> right. They might be able to find one or two good ones there and, and, and recall yes, them. They? But... Uh, it cuts both ways. If the ban applies for this summer, it means they can't bring in anybody else that could potentially compete sure. with them for playing time. But it also means they presumably wouldn't sell the Hazards and Hudson and Doys because knowing they can't replace them, that would be tough to get rid of them. So you know we'll have to wait and see. I mean, it, like I said, it cuts both ways with Pulisic, and we'll have to wait and see exactly what the ban ends up being if they get it pushed back at all. If they get it pushed back, then I expect them to be very busy this summer because they'll do what Barcelona did and realize we got to get a bunch of stuff done this summer in preparation for the fact that we're not going to be able to do anything for the next two windows. So.
1: All right, last question on this topic. Sorry, is he there next year or not? No. Nah. Okay, he's gone. Okay, Next.
2: Next up, uh, we have two uh, El Clasicos coming up. Barcelona and Real Madrid will play two straight matches at the Bernabéu. Wednesday, it is the second leg of the Copa del Rey semifinals. Remember, the first leg was 1-1 at Camp Nou. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the following weekend, they will play in the league. A game that doesn't have a whole lot of juice to me because Real Madrid lost to Girona recently. The gap is now 9 in La Liga, so nobody thinks that they're going to make that up anymore. So it's really more about the... Copa del Rey. But a a couple notes here, uh, Barcelona-related. Real Madrid are facing uh, Lionel Messi, who is coming off a virtuoso performance this past weekend. Uh, Barcelona won 4-2 away to Sevilla. Messi had a hat-trick and an assist, and the first two goals were absolute works of art. And Again, I came across all these tweets from people saying, what a privilege it is that we get to watch this guy week in and week out. And I always think when I read those, well, then why don't you watch him week in and week out? Because when I, based on my Twitter feed, it seems like a lot more people in this country are watching the Premier League than watching like random Barcelona La Liga games. And I was going to ask you, when you're flipping around on weekends and deciding which games to watch, uh, obviously you're going to gravitate to the more compelling games. But every now and then, is there ever a sense of like, oh, I just feel like watching Messi today and I- I'm privileged to have this guy Playing And so even though Barcelona might be playing some riffraff in Spain, like every now and then I got to kind of check in on Messi and like enjoy his genius. Well,
1: it's, it's not that I or people, well, first off, Mossy, Twitter is not real life. Okay. So don't base everything on Twitter. Number two, it's not like I or anybody check in with Messi. It's much more that Messi checks in with us. So when he (laughs) provides a virtuoso performance like this in our, day and age where instantaneously we get the highlights or we get comments and saying, Hey, something special is happening. Either you'll go and you'll see it. I mean, for example, I was coming up the elevator today and our security guard here at the, uh, the building, uh, who I know doesn't watch a lot of soccer, but immediately he said, did you see what happened with Messi this weekend? So, Oh, interesting. It, wow. it, it transcended and that, and, and, and yes, maybe it's unfair that the, the, the thought was Messi's back. Because he hasn't really been gone anywhere, he just he reminded us with a a virtuoso re- performance that obviously is that much better be, because it's goals. You know, Messi can do some stuff where he's not scoring goals that only the diehards will really appreciate and like. But when he scores goals and scores the type of goals that uh, that he scored, people are going to see it and it's going to be beamed all around. And so, Messi reminds us with those performances as opposed to us going, going and actually seeking it out.
2: And I I, meant, I said the riffraff in Spain. Sevilla are hardly, you know, I mean, they're they're actually a very good team. So that, that's added another layer to well, it this weekend that he I mean. did it away from home against a like, very good team. But the other Barcelona story I thought was interesting. I mentioned that Atletico uh, signed Simeone to an extension. Uh, Barcelona uh, that same day announced that they had signed Ernesto Valverde to an extension, which I thought was very interesting because... Yeah, that, that's a very demanding club, and Valverde is hardly like beloved by all the fans there. He's done a pretty good job. I don't know that he's done anything incredible in terms of the quality of the football or the results, and even Valverde, a month or two ago in a press conference, was asked about his future, and he said, look, it's probably going to hinge on the results this season and how we finish in the Champions League and La Liga, and without even knowing that, they went ahead and gave him an extension, which I thought was interesting. Now, they're probably going to win the league, but if they get knocked out by Real Madrid in the Copa del Rey and then got knocked out by Lyon in the round of 16 of the Champions League, like, and he's already signed and sealed for next season. They're probably gonna win the league, but nobody really cares about that. It really comes back (laughs) to Champions League. I I was, I was. That's what everything is judged upon when you are
1: a super club, and and rightfully so. I don't know, but that's the reality, and everybody knows that. The players know that, the fans know that, and most importantly, the person that takes the job, the head coaching job, knows that going in.
2: Yeah, but I, I was frankly surprised because. You know, we, we sort of roll eyes sometimes, you know, you talk about, I think for the most part, you're, you're right, that it's about winning um, and all the stuff about quality of the football that you play is sort of, you know, but with Barcelona, that, that is important. That's baked into the analysis as well. And for the talent they've had the last couple of years, I don't think they've played like mind-blowing football by Barcelona standards. So there's that element of it too. A lot of the fan base isn't happy with the way they're playing. So the results better be good, you know, when that's right. the case. If so you, yeah. if so, If you
1: built yourself on the way that you play, and then you get away from that, you better win, okay?
2: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah, and, and a couple of notes, lineup notes in that classic. Uh, Gareth Bale uh, is in the midst of a controversy again this weekend. He actually came off the bench and scored the winner against Levante from the penalty spot, but then didn't celebrate, kind of brushed off his teammates when they tried to congratulate him on it. And so the, the Madrid media crushed him. And, you know, he, there's always a storyline with him that he's sort of very ostracized from in that dressing room, and, and nobody likes him anyway, so this sort of perpetuated Aww, that. So, so there's that issue. And, and, and as far as Barcelona, I expect Dembele to start both these games. If he starts Coutinho, they might rip up that contract extension because everybody there is way down on Coutinho. So we will end on this. Right. Uh, the 2019 MLS season is just about upon us. Days and away this yes, weekend. Gets right? underway this weekend. Very exciting. So obviously, Atlanta United looking to go back to back. Lots of other storylines. Uh, what, what what most intrigues you well, about I think this the,
1: campaign? The biggest overall storyline. I'm look it, it is MLS in this in this. Uh, off-season in particular made a a a real effort and it started with uh, with Don Garber very publicly talking about this effort to be a involved in the global marketplace and a selling league or to at least have part of it be be a much more uh, of a selling league and that is you know that is seen in the uh, in the Almarone type of situation right now so for me i think the overall Story for MLS in 2019 will be in this moment of selling the whatever exodus happens. Are you replenishing, or are you repre- replenishing with players of equal or better talent, and players that are going to translate uh, both the success on the field and the value that we domestically see, but also internationally, the value of these players uh, going for? So I think that's going to be a big story. We always have. The next big thing when it comes to stadiums, so up there in uh, in Minnesota with the Loons, uh, the launch of their new stadium is going to be uh, is going to be fun. You got uh, if if you're into stadium porn and all that kind of stuff, it's it looks it looks awesome. Uh, the folks up in Portland are getting a rejuvenated type of stadium, which means they're going to be on the road. We always have some team that's playing on the road at the beginning until uh, the situation from a stadium gets uh, gets sorted out for them. All of that kind of stuff is going to be huge. You mentioned uh, Atlanta earlier in the podcast we are looking we are we have a league here where a, an mls cup winning team one year can be the toast of the town so much for his, historic proportions and then the next year not even make the playoffs you got atlanta united who have burst on the scene and have said this is who we are we are not just a a the a domestic powerhouse, but we have global aspirations. We are the club that everybody else is measured by. Fine, you got to keep that. You got to keep that going on a consistent basis, and we'll see if they're uh, if they are uh, able to do that. Uh, and then, you know, like there's a million other stories out there. Some of them that we know, some of them that we don't. When it comes to Major League Soccer, and I know a lot of people have a problem, uh, some more so than others, about the lack of promotion relegation in terms of the way that the MLS, uh, MLS is structured. So you can't have it both ways. Uh, you can't have no promotion relegation and stand on that as a, as a, as a principle. And then when you don't make the playoffs— Complain. The playoff line, for all intents and purposes, is the line by which we judge the very least whether your succeed, whether your ses, uh, season was successful. There's some teams that it's not even a question. You make the playoffs, but when you go through and you see teams like the San Jose Earthquakes, when you see teams like you know the Vancouver Whitecaps, when you see teams like the Chicago Fire, when you see teams like Orlando, uh, especially Orlando, which has come into the league and now has, has yet to make the playoffs, that. For them is the goal, and if you don't do it, it is undoubtedly and should be looked at as a failure going forward. I, I I'm going to talk a little bit more about MLS in our uh, our one big thing, but I'm excited for this uh, the the kickoff of this new league uh, for the incoming talent, the existing talent, but then for that pressure that is. I know it's not perfect, but it is in a league that espouses and lives up to it when it comes to the parity that you have out there. And so we have new coaches, Frank DeBoer in Atlanta. We got Guillermo Barrosquilotto in Los Angeles. Zlatan has already, you know, mouthed off about him you know, doing incredible things when it comes to <laughs> uh, the Los Angeles Galaxy, who we know also haven't made the playoffs. So all of this, all of these storylines are going to be flushed out as we go forward. But in general, uh, I am more excited about 2019 MLS than I have been in a long time for an MLS season. Uh,
2: we know expansion teams have performed very well recently. Uh, what, what kind of vibes are you getting off uh, Cincinnati?
1: I'm getting a soft launch type of vibe <laughs> from Cincinnati, in the same way that I think Minnesota did. It will surprise. me well, I don't think they're making the playoffs, and I don't think that they are going to wow anybody with the product that they have on the field. Now, off the field, I think it will resonate. I think we will say, hey, this is cool. It's not going to be in Atlanta, but nothing is at this point. But I think right now that we are, we are seeing a team that is in uh, soft launch mode. And if you want a hard launch, then it is Minnesota up there with the Loons with this stadium. You you don't get a pass anymore, all right? If this is your hard launch now and your brand new stadium, you better put something pretty in that pretty box, okay? And something valuable and something that the people of Minnesota and to a certain extent, those of us outside say, oh, okay, that's interesting. Because for the last couple of years in that soft launch situation, it's been okay and cool at times to see. And I love the whole Loons thing, but... Absolutely no excuses. So, and, you know, for example, the Columbus crew, you've been saved. It's yeah. wonderful. You've been saved. But by the way, you get to keep your name. You get to keep your team. You get to keep, keep all your players. You should be flying right now. You have a, a new coach in Caleb Porter who is a uh, a – a recognized winner when it comes to the the soccer game, especially the soccer game uh, with his past in Ohio and MLS. You've got Tim Bezbachenko, arguably one of the great minds when it comes to the front office. There should be no excuses at all. I expect this this Columbus team in its new incarnation uh, to have been lifted of the burden and of the pressure and of the problems and the challenges that undoubtedly existed uh, and weighed heavily on this organization over the last year.
2: And we uh, we kick off our coverage on Saturday with a doubleheader on FS1. It's uh, the Galaxy hosting Chicago and then Seattle hosting expansion Cincinnati. Uh, Yeah, you mentioned the Galaxy. I mean, obviously I live in L.A., so I'm maybe biased, but I find that whole Galaxy-LAFC dynamic fascinating. What can LAFC do to follow up their incredible first season and can the Galaxy wrestle back sort of the bragging rights a lot of times I know again, sometimes we
1: you? talk about the uh, you know docu-series and stuff like that LAFC has a new one out uh, I can't wait
2: ESPN plus, yeah, ESPN plus. To we'll it. give
1: our friends over there at ESPN a little bit of a plug over there <laughs> for the uh, LAFC and I, I will definitely be watching that it followed LAFC through the first year of uh, existence and had we're inside to see the creation of that team literally the creation of that team both on and off the field so that should be fun to see all right anything else when it comes to that uh, if, if you are so inclined and I hope that you are tune. In, go to, uh, and uh, and support the uh, kicking off of uh, Major League Soccer happening this uh, this weekend and all professional soccer out there, men's, women's, uh, co-ed, naked, doesn't matter. If somebody's kicking a ball, I'm all for it, and I hope that people support it locally and obviously uh, domestically going forward. Anything else, Mossy? Nope, that's it. All right, uh, our one big thing, and it will come back to Major League Soccer as we kick off yet another league. It is, I, I recognize a... Uh, a labor of love and we kick off uh, this season and love it or hate it uh, or somewhere in between it is here to stay, thankfully, because there was certainly times where I think uh, there was a question as to whether it was going to survive. Not only has it survived, but it has thrived. Uh, I know and recognize and admit that MLS is far from perfect, both on and off the field. Um, but there is no denying that it has been the most successful professional soccer league in American history. Still, got a long way to go for an old guy like myself and others who we were there from the start back in 1996 and, and came back to help start this league. It is wonderful to, as I said, to see it not just survive, but thrive and to grow into something that's sustainable, uh, something that is successful, and to grow into, to be quite honest, something that I don't think a lot of us envisioned in terms of the infrastructure that exists, the ownership that exists, and just the overall talent. And it, it does warm the cockles of my redheaded heart. And I know sometimes I am accused of being a uh, a shill and a cheerleader or a puppet when it comes to the quote unquote establishment out there. Uh, Do I have an interest in major league soccer or any professional soccer league succeeding? You're damn right I do. Uh, The more successful that soccer is in the United States, the more opportunities for me, for Mossy, for everybody in this room, for everybody that plays the game, for everybody loves the game, for the culture, not just the culture of soccer, but the culture of the United States, that is all good. And I know we all have different ideas as to how it should be done and how it should be run. And there's plenty of, uh, of critique and criticism out there. Uh, much of it is fair, and, and please continue to do so if you want to do that. Some of it is based, as I said, out of insecurity uh, or jealousy or just wanting to tear it down. Um, and as i said before major league soccer is la cosa nostra it's our thing words words and all and i'm glad that it's here i'm proud that it's here i'm excited to see it where it's going to go uh, in the in the future and do i have a vested interest in it as i said before absolutely because it is it is my game and i want it to succeed and i hope that there are others out there that want it to, that want it to succeed and Uh, support it. And just because you don't like the way that it's run, or just because uh, you don't like the the, the person involved here or there, I I get it. And as I said, that's at times fair in terms of your uh, criticism. But I choose to believe that it's something that's important, as is every league out there and every league that is uh, trying to establish soccer, to give people soccer and a continual diet on a continual basis. And as I said, whether it's men's or women's or, or anything else out there at any single level, because I know how difficult it can be, uh, I will support you 100% to give people soccer on a continual basis, because it's what's going to make our not just our game great, but I also believe our culture and our community is great to give people soccer on a continual basis. So uh, looking forward to MLS as it kicks off this summer. Please, uh, please tune in. Anything else, Mossy, before we head out? Nope. All right. Uh, it's been our pleasure, as it always has, to uh, bring you a little bit of soccer from an American perspective. We thank you for tuning in each and every week. I will also steer you to a special pod that we are going to be putting out. Uh, we, this week, are hitting a milestone in terms of 100 days until the Women's World Cup this summer, so we're putting out a special pod focused on just a general overview 100 days out of what's going to be happening with the Women's World Cup, which you can see on Fox this summer, which uh, we will be involved with. I can't wait to spend a summer in uh, in Paris talking about the game that I love, and certainly from a women's perspective, having the defending World Cup champions there is going to be so much fun so look for that I'll make sure that we get out that get that out on all the different uh, platforms and it'll show up anyway in uh, a lot of your uh, platforms out there but just be on the lookout for that thank you so much for listening we will see you again next week and as always size the day